And uh, tonight we're going to look at verses uh, 16 and 17. And on the theme of contentment in Proverbs. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Also, in chapter 30, which is also where our text is found, chapter 30, and verses 7 to 9, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. So we're going to look at these two sections of God's Word together uh, tonight. And uh, as we've been looking at the topical study of uh, Proverbs, we have not been looking at taking it verse by verse, but been kind of going through Proverbs in a topical way, seeing what the fear of the Lord looks like. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's that's the, the central principle of, uh, of the uh, book of Proverbs. And then out from that, all these different ways in which we are to live. And so, uh, verse, uh, verse 15, uh, it talks about uh, the fact of a man who is kind of at peace with himself. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. That's a beautiful thought. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. Uh, that person is like a king. They, they're ultimately content. And yet we know of many people who have uh, lands and businesses and all sorts of things that they're never content. They're never happy. There's always trouble following them. They have sleepless nights, trouble in their families, uh, endless problems. And Yet, and they, they, there is a constant hunger, a constant ache within them. But no matter how humble a person is, to have a cheerful heart is a continual feast. Then verse 16 speaks about a man being at peace with God. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And then verse 17 speaks of those who are at peace with others. Better is dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox or hatred with it. And so we want to look just at first on these perspectives on contentment. Perspectives on uh, what Proverbs says about contentment. He says there, uh, uh, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. In other words, it's better uh, to be a follower of the Lord, to be a true child of God, and have little to be, even though you have a dinner of herbs, dinner of vegetables, there's no meat there. And sometimes we, we recoil at that, don't we? Uh, we're often of the persuasion that, you know, you put something in front of us and you say, well, where's the meat? Uh, where, what, what died to make this meal possible? I don't see anything here. Was there a bird? Was there an animal? Was something uh, it gave its life so that I could eat? And we, we don't like simply uh, uh, a meal of vegetables. And not too many of us are vegetarian. Uh, certainly I'm not. 
but uh, some of us are, I'm, I, I suppose. And uh, I suppose some of us can be content with a salad when you go to a restaurant. There are those people. I'm not one of them. But, uh, uh, but he, what he's saying here is that even if we are without meat, even if we're without those things that we would traditionally desire and satisfy us, uh, to have, he says, um, uh, uh, a dinner where there is love, to have these things where love is shared around the table, uh, that is the main thing. That is the thing that is principally the most important thing. I've told you before about a man from uh, the Isle of Lewis, and it comes. The story comes to me from Reverend Underhay, who said that uh, whenever he had people back to the house after communion for for uh, fellowship, he'd always let people know that he was just having cabbage, uh, so that they would come for the fellowship. They weren't coming for the food. So he said he he'd tell them beforehand, where they, if you want to come, I'm, I'm just having cabbage." And he knew that the people that did come were there for the fellowship and there to talk about the Lord. And, and uh, that's kind of what the, uh, the writer is getting at here. Better is a dinner of herbs. Better to have little with love than a fattened calf. You know, a fattened calf was reserved for rare celebrations. You'll remember the prodigal son. Uh, we'll kill the fatted calf because the prodigal has come back. And it was reserved for very rare celebrations. Even the wealthy uh, reserved the fattened calf uh, for that. It was a, an animal that was put in a stall and just fattened up for that very, very special occasion. And so even the wealthy uh, uh, only used the fattened calf on rare occasions. And so he's saying it is better to eat simply and meagerly at a table spread with love than to indulge in the luxuries of the rich in a house filled with hatred. And yet, the world puts such a high premium on the physical things, on wealth, on eating well, or living well. And yet, what the writer is asking is, what is your heart like? What is your home life like? What is the relationship like with the people around you? Jerry Bridges in his, uh, or, or Charles Bridges in his commentary on uh, uh, Proverbs says that love sweetens the meanest food. In other words, you can have, you know, whatever. You can have hot dogs. You can have a plate of beans. And if there is good fellowship, if there is love, if you're around people you want to be around, that becomes a feast. But if you're at a meal with the, where there's tension, where there's hatred, where there's arguments, that becomes a misery. It doesn't matter how uh, beautiful the, the fair is. So he is highlighting here these qualities of love and uh, being able to get along with one another. That the qualities that God's Spirit works among a people, it is those things that we must seek above and beyond all other things. And that is true when it comes to even the church. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, for example, when we come to the table of the Lord and we examine ourselves, we examine our relationship with one another. Uh, and, and we come based on, am I reconciled? If there, if there is someone in the church that I'm unreconciled with, 
I go to them so that when we do sit down together at the Lord's table, that it is a, a, a place that speaks of unity and love. It speaks of reconciliation. We're reconciled unto God, but we're also reconciled unto one another. And so Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. That changes the quality of the gift. That changes the quality of coming to the Lord's table when you have gone the extra mile to put things right with the people around you. And so, uh, for the true child of God, his happiness is of a spiritual nature, not of a carnal nature. And that is one of the, the, the touchstones to help us to get a sense of where we are spiritually. That we may suffer the loss of health, we may suffer the loss of material goods, but when we can still say, the Lord is good, the Lord is to be praised. What is that saying? It's saying your heart you're esteeming spiritual benefits over anything that you may gain physically. Even though you, a person may enjoy all these things, health and wealth, but for the child of God, it's always the spiritual. God is good. And we were seeing a little bit about that this morning with Joni Erickson in our, in our bulletin how even despite the loss of the movement of her body from her neck down, she was able still to live for the Lord, to give thanks to God, because her joys were ultimately, and are ultimately, spiritual. And so here he says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. What good is it? What good is it to get all that your heart desires, all that you want, and have trouble with it? Better is the fear of the Lord and have, have nothing than have all the world's goods. And uh, we, we sometimes are uh, amazed by the accomplishments of people. Um, the, the, their wealth, their abilities, sport abilities, financial abilities, their gains in life, and so on. And we are tempted to look to them and admire them. And yet the Bible is reminding us of something very important here. As Paul says, with godliness with uh, contentment is great gain. There was a recent article this weekend on the Gospel Coalition website uh, and it was called uh, How John Stott Lived with Less. And I quoted John Stott this morning uh, when we began our discussion on the, the church in Laodicea. And John Stott said that none of the letters sums up the church in the West today as much as the church in Laodicea. But John Stott was a great writer of, of uh, New Testament commentaries and so on. You don't agree with everything uh, someone says, but John Stott, by and large, was a wonderful writer and a wonderful preacher. Uh, and it, it is, even though he was uh, uh, a single man throughout, most, throughout his whole life, uh, he lived a very simple life. Uh, and there were principles in the way he lived that we could take a few lessons from. How do you 
how do you achieve contentment? How do you move toward that? And we'll see a little bit more in a minute. But John Stott, though he was a world-famous preacher, I think Time Magazine called him you know, one of the hundred most influential people of the last century, of the 20th century. So that's saying a lot. Uh, but he lived very simply. He sought first the kingdom of God. He sought to put the principles of the kingdom first. He wrote many books, about 60 uh, uh, different publications, and all of his royalties went back into the work of the kingdom. Uh, one of the most notable was the African Bible Commentary, which is widely used today, but that book was made uh, um, uh, possible by the royalties that came from John Stott's other books. And rather than leading a lavish lifestyle and a self-aggrandizement, he put all of that money back into the work of the kingdom. So that even his living quarters were very, very simple. And again, you might say, well, he was single. He could do that. Well, that, that is possibly true. But even as families, I think there are principles we can learn and teach our children about how to live with less. Stott says materialism, which is a preoccupation with material things, can smother our spiritual life. Jesus told us not to store up treasure on earth and warned us against covetousness. So did the Apostle Paul, urging us instead to develop a lifestyle of simplicity, generosity, and contentment drawing on his own experience and having learned to be content in whatever circumstance. And that's how we come to this place, an agreement with the writer of Proverbs to be able to say better is little, to have little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Jeremiah Burroughs says that contentment is a sweet inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every uh, condition, in every situation. So it's not just simply having material goods and living in, in, in a small apartment. It's not that. It's all the situations of our lives. Learning to be content. As Paul says, I've learned to have much and have little, but he also said, I've learned to uh, uh, be exalted and I've learned to be abased. And that can take on many forms. It can, it can be health, it can be loss of friends, it can be all sorts of things. But to be content in what God has for us, that is uh, what the writer is drawing our attention to here. So we see some perspectives in in the book of Proverbs and in the Bible as a whole on contentment. The priority of putting the principles of the kingdom first. Then we want to see the reward of contentment. The implication is that the one who fears the Lord um, leading to contentment, the, 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 the process into which it it goes uh, toward the idea of spiritual contentment will receive in greater abundance all the things that he now chooses to go without in this world. 
And so Jesus says, whoever leaves father, mother, brother, or sister will not fail to receive a hundredfold in this life uh, or, 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 or many times in this life and in the world to come a hundredfold. Many, many times over. So that we're not putting all our eggs in this basket. We are satisfied with the dinner of herbs or the vegetables or the salad uh, without the dressing or whatever it is, you're satisfied with the less. And that's, that's a kind of a catch-all for humble circumstances. He's not just talking about whether you like salad or not or whether you're going to be content with salad. It's a catch-all to talk about the humbling circumstances of life. Because the Christian knows that the Bible gives us an eternal perspective. We were singing at the beginning Psalm 37. And throughout that psalm, it talks about the wicked will perish, but the meek will inherit the, the land. The humble will inherit the land. This is where Jesus gets the idea, the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's why the, you remember uh, Abraham and Lot as they uh, were... Uh, arguing with one another. Remember the herdsmen were arguing and over who was going to get the best land. And Abraham said, look, listen, just if you want to go this way, I'll go that way. If you want to go that way, I'll go this way. And Abraham said, I'm ready, I'm ready, willing and able right now to take the lesser place. I'm willing to let you have the first kick at the cat, as it were. And Lot chooses the well-watered uh, a land towards Sodom. And when Abraham allows Lot to do that, the Lord speaks to him. The Lord speaks to him, not to Lot, but to Abraham. And he says, lift up your eyes as far as you can see and I will give you all this land. As soon as Abraham was willing to say to Lot, look, this I don't want this. I don't want the arguing. I don't want the fighting. It's not worth it. Better is to have nothing than strife. So I'm willing to let you have first choice. You can read about it yourself in Genesis. But out of that, the Lord speaks to Abraham. In other words, to say, you are the blessed one. You have taken the better position. You have, were willing to go without so that there would not be strife. You are the more spiritual of the two. And Paul calls him in Romans 4, not simply the heir of the land of Canaan, but the heir of the world. <laughs> Going above and beyond the land that he knew. And so Jesus says, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What, what stability that brings in your life, doesn't it? You're able to say, listen, I, I, I can go with, do you want this? Look, let, let's not fight about it. Let's not argue about it. If this is, the, if this is what you want, then that's fine. Just, just, let's just, just leave it. It's not worth it. I, I want peace. God has called us to peace. and I'm not going to make a big deal of this. Because I know that I have been blessed above and beyond all measure 
by the Lord Jesus. As Paul says, having nothing yet possessing everything. That's the Christian. Having nothing. And you may say, well, I have a car, I have a house, I've got a bank account. I've got... Well, you know what? The, the majority of Christians in the world, that's, this is what it said about them. They have nothing. People living on the streets in many parts of the world. People, Christians in prison. People, Christians tortured. And yet they possess everything, says Paul. They possess everything. Can you imagine a person sitting in prison in Iran or in Beijing or uh, being uh, uh, have their house burned down in Chiapas or uh, wherever it is and, and the world thinks they're taking everything from them. They're depriving them and yet they possess everything. That's quite something. And that is true for us. Because one day we will lose everything. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can take nothing out. There will be no U-Haul going behind us. We will not have any papers in our coffin. None of these things. We will go with nothing. But we will go with everything. We will go with what Jesus gives to us. What He has purchased for us. Listen to what Don Carson says. Another great writer. He says, 50 trillion years into eternity, we will be grateful that by the grace of God we have learned to be meek during our three score and ten years here. That's pretty good perspective, isn't it? 50 trillion years into eternity, the things that we had to go without for the sake of peace and love and unity will seem pretty small in these three score and ten years that we are called upon to live in this earth. And so we ask ourselves, where do we fall in, into this? Are we wise? Do we know the fear of the Lord which is reflected in I'm ready to go without I am ready to deny myself for the sake of peace in my home, for the sake of uh, for the sake of righteousness. I am willing to stay in a church that preaches the gospel rather than move to some part of the country or some part of the world where I have no job, where I have no church. I may have a good paying job. I may be making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but what's happening to my soul? You see. That's what a lot of young people do. I've seen them do it over the years. Where are you going? I'm going out west. I'm going to Fort McMurray. Is there a church there? I. Well, what about your soul? Oh, I'm sure there's something there. There's the internet, isn't there? And the, it comes back to this. Is that wise when your immortal soul is at stake? Where you choose the job? Fathers going away from their children for years, never seeing their children grow up, never being there for, them, for the children, saying, listen children, what really matters is that I'm sending tens of thousands of dollars home so that you can have the best of everything. So that you can go to that college we want you to go to. That's a fool who does that. That is craziness. And yet, what he is saying here is better with a little, with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure and trouble with it. Children need their parents. Children need 
fathers and mothers in the home. And yet many have, from Atlantic Canada have believed the lie over the years that I've got to get out. Get out to where I'm not. Nobody's holding me accountable. Where I'm teaching my family that the biggest thing in life is money. You see, there's no fear of the Lord there. Now, I'm not saying that there are not circumstances in which people have to sacrifice, make deep sacrifices in their family in, in certain circumstances. But on the whole, it's an unwillingness for people to live with less, to live with little. And so they sacrifice their children, thinking they're helping them. They sacrifice their families. They sacrifice their churches. They sacrifice their soul because of the great treasure. The great treasure. And don't realize the trouble, as it says there, that goes along with it. Well, what do we do then in our pursuit of that? We have to be honest with ourselves. That's certainly what Agar does. This is his name, the words of Agar in chapter 30 at verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remar remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. He's, he has a proper estimation of what he's like. He has a proper estimation. He knows his heart. And so he's praying, Lord, give me just enough to suit my needs, to meet my needs. But don't give me enough so that I'll forget about you. This was the problem with the children of Israel. God says, when you go into the land that I am giving you, don't forget the Lord. Don't become so prosperous that you say, I don't have any need of God. And this, this is exactly what he's talking about here. This was the history of Israel. Life had gotten so good, they had no need of God. He says, these are the things I ask. Just these two things, Lord. Do not deny me. Lord, I, I, I realize what I'm like. I know what I'm like, Lord. How easy it is for me to fall away. How easy it is for me to believe lies. So Lord, please tell me the truth. Remember this morning we were saying that about the church in Laodicea? How hard Jesus' words were to them. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you were lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Those are hard words, and yet the church were to receive those in the spirit with which they are given from the faithful and true one. And so he, as a man who fears the Lord, the man who recognizes the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, he says, Lord, what I want most of all is to have a good relationship with you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to keep close accounts with you. Therefore, Lord, never fail to tell me the truth. Remove from me falsehood and lying. 
Help me not to be deceived. Help me not to surround myself with yes men. People who are going to tell me that, uh, that I'm okay and that I don't need God and I don't need to give so much time and attention to church or do these things. Reading the Bible and so on. It's a waste of time. Lord, keep lying voices from me. Lies are regularly condemned, says one person in Proverbs, for their destructive impact on the social and especially the judicial welfare of the community. So Proverbs speaks a lot about truth and lies. And he says, keep them far from me. And this is the world in which we live. This is the atmosphere in which we live. Promising happiness, promising prosperity only to disappoint us. Creating a whole society of people who are restless. Trying to find themselves. Doing all sorts of things. Reassigning. Doing reassignment surgery even on their body. We've come to that point where people are so restless. So discontented with themselves. Trying to find out what's true. That they'll cut themselves to pieces in order to do that. And so he is a person who knows the dangers around him. And he knows it's only the Lord that can keep him and preserve him. This is the spirit of this godly man. The spirit that we are to hold fast to. He knows the frailty of his own nature. Do you recognize that yourself? Well, surely by this time in our lives, we ought to be able to look back, most of us anyway, look back on the lives that we've lived and say, look, I was so proud there, yet I was so foolish and blind and how I fell for this temptation or that temptation. And I wasn't guarded. And, and so his prayer becomes, Lord, keep lies and deceit from me. Help me to be content with what I have. So not only does he pray against of poverty, which a lot of us would do. Lord, help me not to be poor. Uh, I think most of us would pre, uh, pray about that. Lord, give us, give us what we need and so on. But here, he's praying against prosperity as well. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. In other words, just give me what I need. Lest I be full and deny you. Is, is he a man that knows himself? Is he, is he a man that is speaking as one who says, look, I've been there. And I felt that when things were good, I was starting to drift away from God. When the money started to come in, and the friends started to come around, and I started to buy this, that, and the other, things started is he speaking out of experience as a man who has been down that road? He says, Lord, I can't handle that. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord my God. People, even Christians, can justify ripping off the government. Oh, I won't claim this or I won't uh, uh, declare that or I'll you know, take money under the table and not pay taxes on it, and so on and so forth. I need that money. I'm hard up. And so we make these shortcuts. We say, oh, who's going to see? Who's going to know? 
And what ends up happening is we, we steal. And the Bible says we can steal by withholding our tithes and offerings from God. Remember in Malachi? God comes to the people and says, You have robbed me. How have we robbed you, God? In tithes and offerings. In other words, the people not giving what they should to the Lord out of fear of being poor, out of fear of going without, they say, okay, here's this sick sheep over here, we'll give that one to the Lord. And the good one, well, I'll give that to my government, I'll give that to my boss, I'll give that, or we'll use that for ourselves, we'll get more money for that, and give the sick one to God. Really, it's the principle, it's the thought that counts, isn't it? There's a way. What is he? God is saying to the people, you're stealing from me. You're robbing my glory when you do those things. And so he says here, for lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord my God. It's not, in other words, simply looking at the neighborhood thieves that go around stealing stuff out of the back of trucks. Wrenches and tools and stuff and go, that people know about, oh, this guy, that guy... It's not just them. Christians can fall into the same traps that when they are discontented or when they begin to define happiness in terms of material well-being, they can themselves begin to cut corners when it comes to our relationship with God. And so what does Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, Lord, what we need. Not too much, not too little, but give us our daily bread. Again, a, a writer has said that this may sound redundant to Western readers who have all sorts of food, but it is a precious and urgent petition to those who live from hand to mouth in many parts of the world. Give us this day our daily bread. And so, what he's speaking of here, the things that he's open and honest with, is, this, is, a, is a statement of real achievement, isn't it? To know yourself, to understand yourself, what you're capable of. And to want to pursue the fear of the Lord above and beyond whatever gains you may make in life. And sometimes, and I think if we're careful and we go back over our lives' history, we can look at those times where we said, I had a choice there between the fear of the Lord and personal gain, and I chose personal gain. Or we can say, I had a choice and I chose the fear of the Lord. I chose to take less myself, whether it was winning an argument or whether it was uh, uh, giving my money or losing out on some en enterprise or whatever, I chose that over getting ahead. And this is what this man is pursuing. This is how you pursue contentment. We have to do so recognizing our own hearts. Lord, help me to get my mind around these things. Lord, help me not to be so materialistic. Help me not to be so... Help me to live more simply. And that's the way John stopped and others lived. To live with less. To live with an eternal perspective. 
to know that the, the, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. And that when we've been there, as Newton says in the same 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will look back on these days and say, it was a small thing. Not to win. Not to get more. To go with less. To eat that salad rather than the big juicy steak as it were, spiritually speaking. But choosing to delight ourselves in the Lord. Casting all our anxieties upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. This is what He's doing here. Casting all His anxiety upon the Lord. He knows Himself. He knows what will happen if He gets too much. He knows what will happen if He gets too little. And He says, Lord, just keep me on the, the, the straight and narrow, steady as she goes. Help me to learn contentment and in doing so, to learn the fear of the Lord. Let us pray.